What's up, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to the Comet ML Office Hours, powered by the Artist of Data Science. It is Sunday, August 22nd. Super excited to have all of you guys here. Uh, hopefully, you guys got a chance to tune into the episode that I released on the podcast just the other day with David Benjamin. We're talking about his book, Cracking Complexity. Uh, it's an amazing book. Um, I really relied on some of the concepts of that book when I was going through some data roadmap and data strategy stuff. Um, a previous uh, job, I found it to be immensely helpful and took a lot of those frameworks and started playing with them a little bit. Um, so I think you guys will enjoy that episode as well. Uh, the book is actually free on Audible uh, Premium or whatever they have, whatever it's called, Audible Prime. Um, so you could definitely uh, check that out there. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, uh, so definitely check out that book Audible, uh, on Audible. It's a great book. Definitely tune into the episode I actually did um, with Orr Lenchner earlier this week from Bright Data. Um, it was a uh, it was a cool episode, man. I really enjoyed speaking with him, learning about his company, learning about the DNA of Bright Data. Um, so hopefully you guys get a chance to check that out. It'll be released on the podcast coming up this week, but it's also um, it's live on, on, on YouTube already and LinkedIn as well. Um, but yeah, man, shout out to everybody in the room. Super excited to have all the friends here. What's going on? Marin, Rodney, Christoph. Uh, I I ask that if you're not speaking, you keep yourself muted, please, because I do not need that background noise. Um, shout out to Mark, uh, Rodney, and uh, everybody else in the room, man. Super excited to have you guys here. Uh, if you guys got questions, go ahead and drop them into the chat, wherever it is that you are watching from, uh, whether it's YouTube or Twitch or LinkedIn. I'll be taking questions from you guys. Um, how's everybody doing, man? How's everybody's weekend uh, going? I'm excited to, to hear what you guys are up to. Uh, Mark got some some exciting news I saw pop up on on my feed the other day, dude. That's so cool, man. Tell us a little bit about that opportunity that you got going on, Mark, and uh, and then we'll jump into that question you got. Definitely. So uh, I recently started my own company on the Mark Data LLC, essentially <clears throat> doing it to all all the kind of opportunities that for me from just being active on LinkedIn really coming to play. So I do a lot of content creation data strategy, consulting, um, speaking, various things. And uh, one of my first clients, I'm partnering with Super Data Science to teach uh, part of their course for their 10-week analytics course for the Python section. So I'm creating like a Python module, teaching students. It's going to be really fun. Um, just super excited for the opportunity and to, to really share my passion of data with others. Yeah, man, that's a cool opportunity. I'm excited for you. That's that's huge. I mean, Super Data Science, that's uh, one of the biggest brand names here in data science. So that's cool to get an opportunity to uh, to work with them and impact, I don't know, thousands of people through that program, man. That's going to be huge. It's um, wild. It yeah, really man. scales up my ability to, to reach students. So I was so happy they reached out. Yeah, man, that's so cool, man. Um, shout out to uh, to one of my good friends from grad school. I see you watching it on, on uh on LinkedIn, Eric St. Louis, what's going on, man? It's been quite some time since I heard from you. I uh, remember spending many, many hours in the library studying for actuarial exams with you. Uh, hopefully you're doing well, man. Uh, but Mark, man, let's get into your question. Definitely. So I think uh, my career definitely has phases of learning and, and application. So at one moment, I be, might be very stats heavy. Another moment might be very, uh, you know, building product and Python heavy, another moment, very like database heavy and business application. And oftentimes I feel, my, feel myself where I'm learning a lot in that one space. And then when I have to switch again, I feel like I forget a lot of things. So 
I'm switching back to like teaching myself statistics and Python again to apply that. And I feel super rusty because I've been so focused on business and databases for like six months. And so how do you balance retaining the things you learn? Is it always just going to be like this rusty phase and you're like, oh, I know where to go look, search it up. Or is there a point where you just feel proficient at it all and you just double down on certain areas? I guess to really summarize it is that I learn it, I apply it, but I feel like it's not retained where I feel confident, where I can just go jump right back into it. I have to do some self-learning again. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something I struggle with as well. And one of the things I do is I always make time to go back and revisit fundamentals and revisit basics, but I like to do it in like the most entertaining way possible for me. Uh, so I, I've got a bunch of, uh, I guess, manga and comic books that are all about the fundamentals. So I've got like the cartoon guide to statistics. I've got the manga guide to statistics, manga guide to regression analysis, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so I've got a bunch of these really entertaining books that I'll revisit. Um, you know, they'll, they'll take maybe like two days to get through and they're so fun to read and it just kind of gets those concepts, uh, keeps them on, on top of the mind. Um, and I try to do that, you know, at least once a month or so. And then I'm always watching on the, on, uh, great courses. Like for example, like I'm, I'm watching this, uh, course on, on great courses. It's just all about geometry, right? It's just the fundamentals of geometry and then multivariate calculus just to revisit the stuff. And I feel like as I, like when I was first exposed to some of that stuff, it just didn't make sense to me. They were just formulas, right? Like I literally was just rote memorization formulas uh, and just doing the work by hand. But then as I progress along my career, like I feel like I can go back to it and I see some deeper connections, some more intuition for it with it, with those topics. Um, I always try to revisit the basics. It's always like that for me. Like I don't, I don't, I'm definitely not one of those people that just has everything memorized off the top of my head. I always have to go back and, and look stuff up. Um, but at least I know a few good places where I can look. And then I also have a few keywords in my mind so that I know what to go and search, if that makes sense. Uh, Christoph, let's go to you. And then after Christoph, I'd love to hear from uh, Rodney on this. Because Rodney is uh, somebody who I feel like just knows everything off the top of his head. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, currently I'm reading this book, Limitless, from Jim Quick. And <clears throat> he writes that if we fail to remember something, there are two main reasons. Either you didn't connect it with something that you, you already know, or you just assume that you did, that this information isn't important. So it's either or. And uh, I, if I may suggest something, just grab this book and try to learn. Because he, I, I just started, so I, I can't tell you what are uh, the best ways to remembering things, but I. I know by now that these are the main reasons why we forget things. And I believe that this, I guess we all are uh, like lifelong learners. Investing in this book will pay off like for years. Yeah. So I, I can't give you any ad advice right now other than grab this book and try to <laughs> learn as much as possible how to yeah. learn. It is. It is a really, really good book. I got it on my bookshelf there and a huge fan of Jim Quick. And just to your point, right? Like when you learn something before, it's because it's just the formulas. It might not be in context. You have nothing to connect it to. But then when you revisit it later in your career, you've got a little bit more experience. Then you can kind of make, go back and make those connections. And I feel that that helps reinforce that uh, the principles that Christoph was talking about, like connecting it to something and then making it more important in your day-to-day uh, -day kind of work. Um, I'd love to hear from Rodney on this. Uh, I've also got questions coming in from LinkedIn. Shout out to uh, Tamara. Thank you for joining us. 
I got a question from Vivek. We'll get to your question, Vivek. And then I got a question here in the chat from Parath as well. So we'll get to both of you guys' questions. Stay tuned. Definitely uh, feel free to uh, join in into the Zoom room as well. I've got a link for you right there on uh, the comment section of LinkedIn where you can join in. Uh, but Rodney, go for it. Uh, well, I'm I'm just drinking my morning coffee and then I've been answering Vin's question on LinkedIn about um, if you were starting data science and machine learning from scratch, what should you read? So I've posted all of the old classics, um, you know, going back 50, 60 years. Yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah, Vin did post something about that earlier today. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I earlier today. Yeah. I recommended yeah. I recommended this book just because it's so comprehensive and um, like for example like information theory right like I've never been exposed to information theory before uh, and it was mm-hmm. just something recently that I started um, looking into and I didn't realize how much probability was involved in information theory and mm. that helped me forge kind of a new connection like going back to Jim Quick's principle of having stuff connected uh, and just starting to get a deep understanding of like what does entropy actually represent um, yeah. Well, a lot of statistical oh. estimators are based on entropy, right? Yeah. So, yeah. as well as things like information selection criteria. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I remember. I remember re- like getting exposed to that back at UC Davis. I was in uh, what was his name? Uh, Roussas, George Roussas's class for mathematical statistics, being exposed to like the uh, Fisher information criteria. I think it was, and yeah, back then, like it made no sense to me. I didn't understand it whatsoever. Like, what's this information stuff and then when I went back information to information matrix, yeah, 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 and then you know, going back to stuff and revisiting it, it just you know, forge that new connection and start, yeah, having a deeper intuition for it. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of always revisiting the basics. Um, yeah, Mark pulled out a, a classic book, uh, the uh, John Tukey book there for regression analysis, um, exploratory data analysis, or which one, one was that? that? That it was the, the green one, data analysis and regression. A second ah, okay. course statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I have a have a look at that thread on LinkedIn that Vin posted because I think that's going to generate some interesting stuff. So yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, hopefully, Mark, that uh makes you feel better that even, you know, even like I'm not like the best data scientist or like, you know, stellar data scientist, but even I have to go back to the basics quite often. And I just try to make it fun, man. Like I try to make it as fun as possible. Yeah. It feels definitely, I probably got some imposter syndrome going on when I revisit these things. So, yeah, uh, you know, I feel like it never goes away. You just, you just get yeah. better at dealing with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'd highly recommend like I, got, like, I got like 10 or 12 of these like cartoon I got cartoon guide to economics, to physics, to the universe, to electronics, like all the philosophy, all this stuff, just to, just to keep in touch with those fundamentals and basics. I mean, I just want to understand the world at the end of the day, like just understand explanations that science has provided. And so I feel like just sampling from a little bit of everywhere and then trying to connect everything to what I already know is, is helpful. Um, cool. So let's, uh, let's first go to the question that I got from, um, from Vivek here on LinkedIn, and then we'll get to Bharat's question. And if anybody else has questions, feel free to drop them into the chat or the comment section, uh, wherever it is that uh, you are at. Uh, Tamara on, um, on LinkedIn has a, uh, a suggestion here from Mark called uh, Psychocytonetics on how mind works on a subconscious level. Uh, so that might be a, uh, a good resource for you to look into. Uh, Eric on LinkedIn is asking names of the manga. So everything is uh, just the the manga guide. So I've got the manga guide to linear algebra. 
the manga guide to statistics, the manga guide to regression analysis, the manga guide to calculus, the manga guide to databases, uh, then the guy cartoon guide to calculus, cartoon guide to statistics, cartoon guide to physics, cartoon guide to computer science. Um, those are all really fun books, really entertaining to read as well. Uh, so the question coming in from uh, from Vivek here on LinkedIn is. Uh, he has started to prepare for a uh, BI analyst type of role. What would the skills help me cover the skills required for a business analytics? Uh, you'll, you're, okay, so I guess the question is you're trying to become a BI analyst and trying to figure out what skills you need to learn. Um, and you're saying you're learning SQL, Excel, Python, and Tableau. I, th I think you got all that covered. I think those are pretty much the essentials for any data-related um, role. As a BI analyst, I'm not sure exactly what it is that you'd be working on, but I'd reckon it'd be heavy on the reporting aspect and the reporting side of things. So to that extent, I think Excel and SQL are probably going to be your best friends, maybe even Power BI. Um, what, what do you think, Mark? What, what, what do you think? I was going to go in the more like non-obvious things that you probably can't get online, but like being able to communicate with business stakeholders and asking the right questions to figure out what exactly is the question they're trying to answer. So <clears throat> many times you'll have a business professional like, hey, create me this report for X, Y, Z, right? Um, and if you take it at face value, many times you'll build a dashboard that's not useful. <laughs> and so being able to ask like the correct questions from the business stakeholder to determine like what's their real need, what's the business context around it, that's going to set you up for success for after you get all those technical skills down, right? That's going to set you up for success to apply those toolbox of of technical stuff um, really well. Yeah, I have like an entire like section in my upcoming course on how to ask questions and how to frame a question and how to generate hypotheses and things like that, which I think will be helpful for anybody that's in a analytical type of of role. Um, but Vivek, hopefully, do you have a mailing for... list? Do you have a mailing list for your your thing yet? Because I want to sign up and purchase it as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah I've got a, a you know I've got a, I've been slacking on the newsletter for uh for for my podcast just because I'm mentally on summer break, dude. Like I just like uh, the last couple of weeks that I've not been at work, I just been like like just relaxing and it's been great. Oh no no uh, not necessarily newsletter the uh, but, like but just the actual, sign up like yeah. a, so I get like an announcement like it's live yeah. now. Yeah, so that's that's going to be happening as well. That's uh, part of the uh, the work that I need to get done. I'm working on the website right now and the and the, the landing page and mailing list. But it'll be fed into like everybody that's on the newsletter emailing list will get the announcement for for that as well. So both those will be will be out. Um, so Vivek, let us know if you got any follow up questions. And you know, by all means, man, you are more than welcome to hop into the uh, chat here with us. I've put the link there uh, in the comment section on on LinkedIn. So if you want to come and ask more questions. I think that'll be helpful. But uh, in general, man, those skills that you listed, SQL, Excel, uh, for a BI analyst role, I'll probably prioritize SQL and Excel and then maybe Power BI because um, I mean, not a lot of companies might have Tableau, but I know a lot of companies will have Microsoft uh, products and you might be um, better off learning Power BI. Uh, I don't know. Any, anybody has? Yeah, Rodney, go for it. Um, I read something recently that uh, some people are shying away from Power BI because it's not um, cross-platform. Mm. So, so one argument is that for, for Tableau uh, is is that it is cross-platform, uh, although it is a, a lot more expensive. Um, so, I, I'm not sure that's a choice. Uh, I think you sort of have to look at both. Start with one, obviously, but yeah. But, um, 
Yeah. Um, well, I think I think also like when you're talking about the the tool Tableau or Power BI, typically you're using it for designing dashboards and communicating information visually. So beyond just the tool itself, there's principles to communicating data visually that I think are probably more important to prioritize in the learning journey than just the actual tool itself. So yeah. to, to that point, there's a really excellent course on uh, Coursera taught by a couple of guys. Um, uh, shout out to Sik Brar, a friend of a friend of mine, um, who's one of the teachers on that course. And it's uh, taught out of UC Davis. And I think it's it's all about data visualization using Tableau, but they spend quite a significant portion on best practices and how to think about creating visualizations. So I think that might be helpful for you yeah. as well, uh, Vivek. Another thing people shouldn't neglect is, is something like Data Studio, Google Data Studio, oh, yeah, which is yeah. in the same space. Um, and uh, so that's that's what we use uh, at work, um, mostly because of security issues, uh, which which block certain functionality of Power BI and of uh, uh, Tableau. So, Mark, let's let's hear from you on this because you started busting out laughing when it came to Data Data Studio. Go for it. We use Data Studio in my job as well. Um, I like it because it's easy to get your data in and similar things, security security reasons, all within the Google kind of framework. I absolutely hate Data Studio though so much. <laughs> it like there's some times where I'm like, I'm just gonna create an R because this visualization is too ridiculous. To give you an example, you can't label your X and Y labels. You or you can only label your X one, but not your Y. And then they won't allow you to rotate text. And it's just all it. It's as if someone was told to make a dashboarding tool, but like through like the game of telephone where like they got pieces of it right, but pieces of it really wrong. And it's it's a, a living hell of mine. That's been my life for the past three months. I'm glad to be done with that project. Yeah, but you got to work with, you know, what's going to work. And, and the IT security guys sometimes put constraints on you that... <laughs> that force you into those sorts of situations. I agree with you, though. Yeah, it's it's a great tool for what it is, but like I th- I feel like if you know how to do do it in R and or do it in Python, it it feels like you're doing visualizations. You're one hand tied behind your back. That sounds very very unfortunate, man. Like I I, I don't <laughs> I don't do a lot of dashboarding in, in you know I haven't done much dashboarding in my career at all. Like when I do visualizations, it's just for me to actually like get a sense of the data. So I never think about like having that flexibility in a tool, like like a tool for visualization that does not have those flexibilities. I feel like would literally feel like like just trying to trying to do visualizations with yeah, like you said, one hand behind your back. That's that's quite unfortunate, man. I would not uh, I would not enjoy. Yeah. That. Also, another thing I learned too is if you transfer ownership to of a dashboard to another person, so say for instance, someone leaves, all your dashboards will then fail. And you have to go through every single individual dashboard and update the credentials manually. Also, part of my life the past few months. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite quite unfortunate, man. Uh, so, uh, Vivek, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we've provided you enough uh, insight and um, reasons to not use uh, Data Studio as well. Uh, yeah, Mark mentioned Danny Ma's SQL course is great. Uh, yeah, definitely check that out. I haven't got a chance to check that out, but I heard it is free and quite good, right? Is that the free one or is that there's a paid version of that one? It's like 40 bucks, but okay. it's really good. And uh, my colleagues and I, we just all bought it individually and we spend an hour each week doing it together and we really like it. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
Uh, so definitely check that one out as well, Vivek. All right, cool. So let us know if you got any follow-up questions. Shout out to everybody else. Uh, got quite a big audience watching on LinkedIn. So if you guys want to join in uh, on LinkedIn, scroll up, you'll see a link to the Zoom room. Come and join us. Shout out to a few people who just joined us recently. Chris, good to see you again, my friend. Uh, Natasha, good to have you here. I don't think we've uh, met, so thank you for joining in. Uh, Joshua, I'm curious if it's the same Joshua that hangs out on Fridays. If so, good to see you again, my friend. Let's go into uh, Parat's question. Um, Parat, go for it. Uh, hi. So this question is very specific and it might deviate from the overall topic of machine learning itself, but still I would like to shoot. So yeah, go for it. As if anyone has worked with RSS feeds in Python here, or just like worked program with RSS feeds programmatically in general, then the question is like, how do you poll for updates or changes on the RSS feed like via a program or via some script or code? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have an answer to off the top of my head, but one thing I did uh, find on a quick Google search was the feed parser library, which looks like it's uh, quite up to date. They had the recent release, the most recent release version six uh, in June, 2021. Uh, so that's feed parser. Have you looked into that library at all? I I don't know much about I it. I was mean. just getting started with that. But like, if anyone has done something yeah. which is you know battle tested, then I I mean I was just looking for some yeah. tips like that. Yeah. See if anybody has any expertise doing that. Anybody in the room worked with Python for RSS feeds at all? I haven't, but I found a tutorial through a quick Google search that also mentioned feed parser. And they gave you some simple code to to follow along with. Yeah. I, I feel like your, be your best bet is just to don't try to find the best thing. Just try to find something with a tutorial and just try it out and learn. And if it meets your needs, awesome. If not, then you can find something else. But like, it's helpful just to, to go through that pain point. Yeah, I always try to mess around and, and okay. find some other people's cool code to see what works. So let's see what happens here. If we do file type, Python notebook, uh, nothing comes up. Uh, Python. Maybe. PY, then I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, Just Python RSS brings up a whole lot more. Python RSS. Yeah, you get there's a there's a, a number of the Python packages that will um, read in RSS feeds, and there are a number of tutorials. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, yeah, definitely uh, put some of those links in the chat, yeah. Subharath. Hopefully, that'll be helpful, uh, Subharath. My my man, sorry we couldn't help you out. Uh, more than that, but looks like we got one library and then a couple of tutorials that will be coming into the uh, chat for you to check out. All right, okay. I think something that'd be really helpful is you broke down how you did that Google search because that was like oh. some cool Google searching extras in there. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it'll so, be helpful for people. Yeah, so uh, I I just I get really proficient with my Google searches. So uh, I mean, just searching, being able to search, I think is is a very uh, important skill as a data scientist. That re resourcefulness, right? So if you're not sure how to use Google's advanced search, uh, let me just pull this up real quick. This is a, see, I search so much that Google always thinks I'm a bot. I don't understand why. I always get that message um, several times a day. But if you go to google.com or whatever slash advanced search, um, this is a template that you can use to fill out. Um, but then once you start getting used to using this template, you'll know exactly how to search stuff up yourself. One thing that you could do is you can restrict your file type that you're searching for on Google, right? So 
for example, let's say that I'm interested in, um, uh, let's say I'm interested in uh, generative adversarial, I can't spell, but Google will correct that. And then let's say I was looking at that for uh, generative music or uh, music, right, in general. And then I wanted to see if there's any white papers on that. So I restrict myself to PDFs because that's typically the format of white papers. And I see, okay, there's some symbolic music generation with transformer GANs. And then, you know, look through this, this is half what I want. And it's usually helpful if you have on the top of your mind, a couple of keywords that you're looking for in particular. Uh, let's say that I'm uh, looking for recommend, uh, recommenders or something. I, I'm horrible at spelling up. Menders. Uh, this one doesn't mention it. All right. So that, that sucks. Um, but one thing I would recommend when you're looking at a research paper is once you've gone through uh, the research paper and read it, like go through the references and check out some of the references that they have, because that's, that will help you link to other important concepts or other important ideas that you might be uh, searching for. So for example, we're talking about, okay, general ge generative adversarial networks to generate music. Um, now let's, let's say I was curious, I wonder if anybody's done like a project on that, then I can restrict myself to search the internet for IPython notebooks by saying file type colon IPy notebook, uh, and just kind of see what happens. Um, you know, we could, but that's probably too specific of a search. So I got to find something else. So here's something, somebody has a project on generative music. All right, let me see what this is all about. Right. So that's kind of how my Google searching process works. Um, and it's all just based on Google advanced search. So let's say, for example, I was curious about something more basic, linear regression assumptions, right? And I don't want to, you know, have just a Medium blog post because I don't trust people on Medium when they write about the fundamentals. I want to restrict myself to just university websites. So I could put site edu, right? So I could just search only educational websites, like university websites, and then, you know, kind of go through them and see what happens here, right? Um, so that's kind of my process for Google searching. So uh, start by going into uh, google.com forward slash advanced search. And then you can, once you start understanding how to do the searches out of here, you can just do them yourself straight out of the uh, search bar. Uh, Rodney says someone should offer a course on Google search. Yeah, I will be actually including um, that as a bonus um, in my, uh, my upcoming course. I'll be having a quick, uh, more structured lesson on how to Google search more efficiently and effectively. It's, it's been a life changer or a game changer for, for me and how quickly I can find information. Shout out to uh, Antti just joining us. Antti, good to see you, my friend. Um, so yeah, let's says, I'll see if there's any other questions coming in on LinkedIn or anywhere else. If you guys have questions, do let me know. Uh, looks like Asha has just joined us. Asha, good to see you again. How are you doing? I'm doing. Oh, did I say that audible enough? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm doing good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good to have you here. Um, yeah, we just, uh, we're just talking about how to Google search efficiently and, and how to look stuff up. Um, there's actually a, uh, question that came up from, uh, from Mark earlier today. I think we'd, I'd love to get your perspective on this, Asha. And it has to do with, um, uh, essentially sometimes we forget things. How do you handle that? How do you handle, uh, having to go back to basics and having to, to keep information fresh in your mind? Like, what do you do to, to make that easier on yourself? With the forgetting, you can't help it. Some things just tend to go. But one thing I've learned is I tend to forget less when I focus on exactly what I'm reading. I used to have a habit of just reading so many things that you don't even use them. So you keep practicing, you keep going back to it. That's how I don't forget. You yeah. definitely keep practicing on it. Yeah, one thing I've been really in, like uh, 
trying to make the most of is a better note-taking system because like you're saying, like I'll just read stuff and my previous methodology is just reading and just putting flags in the notebook or rather in my actual book. Uh, but now I'm getting a little bit more smart on how to take notes because of this wonderful book, how to take smart notes. It's been helpful. Um, but I've been really using this uh, program called Obsidian lately. It's quite nice, just a, a text editor with a couple of bells and whistles on there. Um, but it makes it easy to do bi-directional linking so you can connect ideas and uh, use tags to them thematically sort ideas and um, highly recommend checking it out. Uh, great number of great tutorials on Obsidian as well. One is um, a YouTube channel called Linking Your Thinking. And another one is um, uh, Brian Jenks. He does an entire in-depth tutorial on how to use Obsidian. All right. Uh, let me know if you guys got questions or anything. I'm, I'm keeping an eye out on the chat on LinkedIn. Couple of comments coming up. Uh, Mark, looks like Tamara says uh, they want to connect with you because they want to use your expertise on a quantum mechanics data dashboard. All right, that's interesting. So you can uh, see the uh, comments there uh, on LinkedIn to reach out to, uh, to Tamara. Um, and Vivek said he's uh, taken up uh, Jose Portilla's SQL course. Jose Portilla is cool, man. I, I, I remember using a lot of his stuff when I was first getting into data science. He was like one of the first people that I um, started learning from on Udemy. Christoph, go for it. Uh, I have a question. <clears throat> I want to know uh, how important uh, Docker is in job of machine learning engineer, or maybe like uh, whose job it is to deploy and maintain machine learning model? Yeah, so I think for machine learning engineer, it's crucial to know uh, Docker. I mean, even as data scientists, just knowing the fundamentals, high level or overview of Docker is is uh, is good to know just what it is, what purpose it serves and why you need it. Um, but the actual deployment part, I would say that falls on the shoulders of a machine learning engineer or machine learning architect to help plug that into the uh, overall system. Uh, what was the second part of your question? Mm, so it was deploying models, uh, whose job it is. Or uh, so first question was how important Docker is in job of machine learning engineer. And the second yeah. one was whose job it is to deploy models. Yeah, so, so definitely very important to know Docker for machine learning engineers. And I would say the uh, job of deployment does fall on the shoulders of machine learning engineer, machine learning architect, or software engineer. Even though a data scientist should write their code in such a way that um, it's deployable, right? Deployment ready. So just handing a machine learning engineer a notebook is not a good idea. That'll be a, uh, not very helpful. Uh, Mark, go for it. Something that's been popping up as well from my from our friends in ML engineering, and maybe this is a, might be biased because they're more so on the consulting side, but uh, Terraform, which is code for infrastructure for cloud, um, that's really important because many times when you are doing something on, along the ML lines, it's probably going to be in the cloud. And so that's a lot of the infrastructure around it as well to deploy it. And so that's been a key thing I've been that I've been hearing from my friends who are in that space of things they've had to learn. Many of them learned it on the job, though. Yeah, and that type of stuff probably easier to learn on the job because you'll you're dealing with real life, real world infrastructure and and things like that rather than just kind of your sandbox environment. Uh, Rodney's mentioning uh, Kubernetes here as well. Yeah, that's very important as as well. Um, any other insight on on that, Rodney? Not, not particularly, just as an alternative to Docker. There's a uh, really cool website that uh, my friend Makiko always recommends, and that's called Full Stack Deep Learning. Um, and it's 
a lot to do with how to deploy things into production. It's all about shipping projects. So I'll go ahead and pull this up and I'll share the link here. Uh, maybe you could find some uh, benefit on, on checking, checking that out. But yeah, full stack deep learning. Um, I think it's, I think it's free. I'm pretty sure it's free. Um, yeah. All lectures and labs are free. And this is all about how to deploy things into production. And you can look at the, uh, at all the uh, course material for that. And right here is where they get into the deployment aspect of stuff. Stuff is that helpful to answer your question at all? Yeah, it does. I'm just wondering right now: is it a thing I should know before I get the job, or I can just learn it in like a few weeks when I? Yeah, so working? I think it's definitely something you should know about and kind of conceptually understand at like you know a ten thousand foot level. Like, okay, what is Docker? Why do we need Docker? What is deployment? What does that What does that mean? What does that look like in in real world? Um, but then you don't need to like be super nitty-gritty hands-on with it until you get the job. It's good to just have an awareness that these things exist, what functions they serve, and how they can make your job of getting your idea from just an idea to production uh, easier. Mark, go for it. Let's say if you really want to impress people is take your old portfolio projects and put it into production um, using Docker, where it might be. So that way you can show the initiative of like, hey, yeah, I've learned it. I would love to learn on a production system. Yeah. It's not difficult to, to do that, right? I mean, it's like so commonly used there. It must be like, I know there is like Docker file and where you put all those bash comments or something. I, I'm not sure right now. I've, I've, I've seen this, but I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's not, like, not, terribly, not terribly difficult uh, at all conceptually. Like, I mean, once you get deeper into it, it's a lot more difficult. But yeah, I mean, just creating a Docker file, composing a, a, you know, a Docker image, it's, you know, and, and running it, you a few commands that you need to, uh, to know, like just to do it yourself. But once you start having the troubleshoot and get nitty gritty and stuff, I'm sure it's a lot more, uh, a lot more difficult than that. I guess what, what I found from writing like production code is that many times it's actual tool itself and learning it is actually the easy part. The hard part is integrating it with all the other moving pieces within the code base. And that's that's the part I spent a lot of the time because I built this like modular unit. How do I connect the pipes to like my engineer colleague that built this component? And how do I get this output out to another component that my another engineer friend made? And so that's the hard part is like connecting all the pieces and integrating it. Yep. That's where the engineering comes in handy. That's where that engineering skill comes in handy. All right, guys. Um, so Christoph, hopefully that was helpful. I think there's a there's a pretty good Docker class taught by the folks that have super data science on um, Udemy that might be worth looking into. Uh, I mean, another good tool to kind of know about is, you know, Airflow, but you know, beyond Airflow, just, you know, directed acyclic graphs, like how they fit into the uh, deployment-ish aspect of, of machine learning project. Um, might look into that as well. There's a really good class on Udemy that's super in-depth on Airflow. Uh, so when you get to that point, let me know. I can send you a link. I kind of just know it at a high level, um, but not super in-depth. All right. Checking the comments here on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Don't see anything coming in. So if anybody has a question now, is the time to go for it. Uh, so Asha, go for it. Um, so I have a question. Um, if you could go back to your younger self when you were starting off, what advice would you give yourself in terms of the working environment? Did I freeze up? No, no, you're good. You're good. Well, you just froze up now. But Did I freeze up? No, you're good. We can still hear you. So you said, uh, what oh. advice would you go back to give your, your younger self? 
Yes, like in terms of career progression and the uh, working environments and places you pick. So how young are we talking? Because I, I go back, I tell myself a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, uh, as far as you, you go back, all the advice would be helpful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bite Naval Ravikant's advice because it's just been ringing true in my, in my head so much over the last year, at least. And it's just that hard work is no substitute for who you work with and what you work on, right? Uh, so I'd go back and, and tell myself that as, as a younger, be like, yeah, you might like being a lone wolf and sitting by yourself and just working hard. But if you really want to do great things in this world, you sitting there alone by yourself working hard, uh, that's just one leg of the stool. You still have to work on something worth working on. And you have to work with people who are high energy, high integrity, high intellect, so that what you work, are working on can have maximal impact on the world. So I'd go back and tell my younger self that, but like, look, dude, like you're trying to be Mr. Lone Wolf, isolated, doing your own thing. You're not going to accomplish shit or impact anyone just by yourself, right? That hard work, that spinning of your wheels, that's not, that's not the entire you know, equation. You still need to work on something worth working on and you need to work with people worth working with. And I'm super excited, man. Like um, Austin just uh, told, you know, Austin showed me who I'll be working with on, on my new team. Uh, at at uh, Comet, you know, the, this core group of folks that I'm working with, man, I'm super pumped. Like these these uh, two other people that I'll be working with are super smart. Like I'm looking at their portfolios. I'm like, holy shit, man. Like I'm the dumbest motherfucker on this team. Uh, I'm I'm excited to be learning from them. Like I'm like, damn, I, I'm pumped up, right? Like, like for the first time in what feels like a, a, a long time, right? When I first started at, at Bold, I worked with a, a lot of great, wonderful people at Bold. But that that team was just so young and you know we didn't have i was like the only data scientist or some machine learning engineer and then a software engineer who knew you know a bit about machine learning but we couldn't really impact much like we couldn't do much and then at price being the only data scientist like that was hard and now here i am i'm working with like two other really really accomplished data scientists three other really accomplished data scientists doing some awesome stuff uh what's up Dhruv? i'm excited to work with Dhruv and then a couple other people who will uh remain nameless right now um, I'm pumped, man. Like I'm excited. Like I'm going to be working on cool stuff with awesome people. So now I feel like all that hard work that I'm doing is going to have a massive impact. Um, so that's, that's, that's a long rant for me. Uh, let's, uh, let's toss it to, uh, to Mark and then let's hear from anybody else that wants to, uh, to get in on this. Yeah. This doesn't sound counter counterintuitive, but like hard work is a trap because the thing is like, there's a difference between like hard work and smart work. Many times when you're doing hard work you're just keeping yourself busy and that that like progression makes you feel good but like are you actually have driving impact and this is more so specific to like a career in data science um because i feel like for progression a career in data science you have to be very you have to, have, you have to drive impact and have critical thinking and that requires a lot of smart work and so from all of that i think the thing that really started i started to see a lot of progress in my career and like start going like the hyperdrive feeling was when i started having patience <laughs> And so like, don't jump quickly to every new thing or every new project or everything you can help out on. Just being really patient, reading the room, reading the situation, reading what's happening in your career in the market and uh, make key decisions of what exactly you want to work on. So much what Harpreet said, like, you know, what you work on, who you work with. I'm seeing for the past year, that's like really been the key differentiator between what I was doing in the past and what I'm currently doing now. Before I was really spread thin trying to do everything. And because I felt like if I'm busy, I'll feel good. 
and I feel like I'm making progress. <laughs> and now I'm less busy, <laughs> but dri- driving way more <laughs> because now I'm like actually relaxing, actually taking time for myself to refresh and think critically about like, what's the most impactful thing. And so now instead of me running everywhere, I'm running to running to the bag. You know, <laughs> I know exactly where I want to go to, you know, for, for this point, Oh, this goal t- aligns with this. I'm gonna go directly there and cut out everything else. And so that's, that's the key thing, just patience and being very critical, like what exactly you work on. Cause you don't need to do everything. Looking back, a lot of the stuff I did was just extra and if anything, just a, a drain on my mental health and well being. Yeah. Uh, another good advice uh, from Naval Rabikant is just the things that you work on. Like first, first of all, just start out by setting a really high aspirational hourly rate for yourself. Right. And then think about, okay, I value my time at this many dollars per hour. Now, if I go do a task that I can outsource for less than that amount, I should probably outsource that task because it's going to take me away from the actual work that I should be focusing on. Right. So for example, I hire people to clean my garage, to like pull out the weeds, to come clean my house, all that stuff, because that's important work that needs to get done. That's hard work that needs to get done. I'm not doing anything important if I work on that stuff. Right. So I'd rather just hire people to come and do all that stuff for me. Right. Um, because then I could just focus on the actual work I, I need to do. Right. So um, I, I don't know if that fit in with what Mark was saying. I kind of felt like it did, but now that I talk about it, maybe not, but another bit of advice, set a high aspirational hourly rate for yourself, charge that high aspirational hourly rate. Anything that you have to do that, that you can outsource for less than that rate, outsource it. Uh, Christoph, go, go for it. Uh... So I, I love what you mentioned, uh, Harpreet and Mark, and I ask myself this question pretty often, uh, am I being busy or am I being productive right now? And I think this is a great question to ask because many people don't see the difference and the difference is really huge. And um, another thing you guys mentioned is uh, when you get to choose who you work with and what you work on and i think another thing is like when you work on it this is like another level of freedom and flexibility when you get to choose the time when (laughs) when you work but uh going back to your question actually i uh i tell myself the difference uh between fixed and uh growth mindset because this is what i learned at age of 32 and I've wasted like 15 years of my life at least not trying to learn new things because uh, when I was younger I was pretty good at math so I didn't have to learn it I just got it so every time I struggled with anything to to understand I thought it wasn't my thing so I wasn't able to learn it or I, it was just wasting my time or something uh, so that would change my life like drastically if i had this mindset when i was younger yeah that's an excellent excellent point uh yeah growth mindset super super important and actually i'd love to hear from natasha on this as well uh but while natasha gets gets ready i want to put that point christoph made about being busy and productive i have a uh, quote here from seth godin right next to my calendar that i'm literally going to pull off my wall that i look at every day and i just printed printed it out uh, and what it says is everyone who wants to be busy is busy, but not everyone is productive. Busy is simply a series of choices about how to spend the next minute. 
productive requires skill, persistence, and good judgment. Productive means that you have created something of value. Perhaps your self-created busyness is causing you to be less productive. And so that stares at me every single day when I come and sit down uh, in my chair right here. Uh, Natasha, if you're, uh, if you're still around, yes, you are. I'd love to hear uh, what advice you would give to your younger self. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, I think my first time on a Zoom call. Oh, thank so, you. Thanks for coming. Yes. Um, so for me, I'll say is, um, especially since I started doing data science last day in September, and um, you get I get so caught up at times trying to learn everything, um, trying to understand what this algorithm means, trying to um, participate in all the projects that I can at the same time, but but it ends up being not productive at all because you're you're busy being caught up trying to um, get all the work done, but not really understanding what you're doing. Um, so you end up. So I I, I know. Um, recent, not just maybe two months back, I ended up just copying code and putting it in a notebook, but not really understanding what this code means and 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 what it will it, it will do to my model. So for me right now, I'm just taking the time out and doing things one at a time, I'm taking a project at a time, just to understand what is it that I'm doing, so that at the end of it all, I'm productive and not just busy and not just getting everything at a go. Yeah, absolutely love that. Focusing on one thing at a time, man. <laughs> That's a, that that's been a game changer for me as well. Cause I used to want to do like three things, four things in a day or, you know, in an hour. And I was just like, I'm doing this one, maybe two things. If I get that done, I'm feeling good. A uh, good piece of tip here coming in from Tamara on uh, LinkedIn saying develop discernment to be able to walk away from toxic people. Uh, don't get burnt out and leverage the success in your network and create your own lane. Uh, absolutely. Um, Marion, Rodney, Joshua, Auntie, anybody want to uh, give some uh, advice to their younger selves um, by imagining that their younger self is Asha? Uh, go for it, Marion. Uh, actually, I would like to kind of question the question itself because it's there is nothing productive to think of how to do your advice yourself if, 10 years ago. I think the question is more like, hold on, the, the question is more like, okay, let's, sort of stop what we're doing and try to evaluate what what progress we're making. I mean, sort of putting things in perspective currently on how we're progressing toward our goals, evaluate and say, hey, listen, if you want to achieve this, I'm not doing it right or I'm doing it right, what can I do better? That's sort of just a comment on the question. It's not like I'm going to advise myself when I was 18, do this or don't, don't do this. It's more like put put everything in the context of the moment. You're trying to achieve something. So what it is that you're doing is that helps you achieve that. If it doesn't help, you just drop it and figure out what you need to do to, to achieve it. Th- that's a comment on I like that uh, philosophical twist. On it. Thank you very much, Marion. Uh, anybody else want to give some uh, tips here for the younger selves? Or um, we got some questions coming in from Auntie. Auntie, good to, uh, good to see you in, in the room. Um, anybody else want to uh, chime in here? If not, we can go to Auntie's question. Then there's a question coming in from uh, from YouTube. Oh, Asha, go for it. Um, beginning to see a notification on my internet. I might freeze up. Okay. Um, you mentioned knowing... Did I freeze up now? No, we're good. We're good. Uh, you mentioned knowing your exact prize, no, setting your exact prize and going by it. How do you exactly decide whether... You, sometimes you might lowball yourself. 
because you feel like you want the opportunity, you want to learn. How do you exactly stand by? Did I face? No, you're good. Nope. You're good. Yeah. So how do you figure out what price to set for yourself? It should just. Let me stop my video. It'll help with it. Hold on. Oh, you actually you haven't you haven't cut out or at all or anything. You're you've been completely stable there on your internet. Um, so so oh. worries there. So uh, the question was how it, it should just feel absurdly high. Like so, check this out. People, I get messages from CEOs all the time or you know PR firms like, oh, we'd have the perfect guest to come on your podcast. And I'm like, great, I would absolutely love to talk to your person. Here's what it costs per hour to come onto my podcast, right? Um, and the first time, like. The, the first person that accepted that, I was like, that was too easy. That was too, too easy. So I raised the prices and I raised the prices pretty high. Right. So now, so CEOs listening, if you want to come on my podcast at the current moment and you want to come talk about your company, it costs you $3,500 for that one hour. Right. Like that's it. So the first person that, that paid me was, uh, um, oh, fuck it. I'm like, I'm NDA. What, I don't give a shit. Um, who was it? It was, uh, it was analytics IQ. I charged him 2,500 bucks to come on the podcast. And I was like, you said yes to, to 2,500 bucks. Like it was nothing. All right, cool. Next person that comes is $3,500 to come on my show. Um, and I know some people will, will take on work that's, you know, they'll charge like five, 600 bucks. Nah, dude, like that's, that's not enough for me. Like five, 600 bucks for me to put in the effort it takes to review, like research you, research your company, ask my questions, get you in front of my audience, do the editing, create the, the, you know, uh, uh, social media posting, all that stuff. That's not worth it for me. Um, so I'd rather, I'd rather have, you know, people come on my show few and far between and just have high clientele and, and, and pay me that, that good money rather than having, you know, seven or eight people come in at, at 500 bucks, right. That's just more work for myself. So I just set my price extremely high and it'll probably go up again. I'll probably start charging, you know, five thousand dollars to come on the show um and you know if, if if all i get is one person a month well whatever that's cool that's you know just this what it is uh so it feels absurdly high <laughs> but the first time was too easy so i set it higher uh i mean comment ml got a good deal out of me uh, i should have i should have uh i should have set, set the uh the sponsorship for this uh happy hour or office hour a little bit higher but hey man you guys hired me and ended up in a job uh so that's that's you know that's cool but but yeah i just super high like yeah any ceos listening right right now it's 3500 bucks to come on my show uh for an hour interview after that I'm, I'm, this time next year it might be triple the price who knows um but that's what it is so yeah just make it feel absurdly high so uh, hopefully i didn't shoot myself in the foot with with that but i mean yeah if, I mean, if ceos listening you get reach you get great questions you get great coverage for your company uh and what's the big deal you got a marketing budget that's the whole point of using it so um yeah uh, great tips coming in here from uh, from Auntie. Auntie, uh, do you want to do you want to tell us this tip here, or should I read it out? Let me know. I, I think you might be like, I think Auntie is uh, flipping cars over, doing squats, you know, like lifting cars over his head and, and bench pressing them and stuff, doing this fitness thing. Uh, but he's saying that he would just add, at least I wish that a younger version of myself would have, that you should try anything, at least try for a while before deciding it's too hard to learn. I've had so many surprises so far. Of course, there have been times when things have been harder than I thought beforehand. In any case, uh, don't stand in the way of your own learning and success. There you go. Uh, am I going to interview Neil deGrasse Tyson? I've emailed him three times uh, to no avail, um, but it's all good. I mean, uh, one of these days, people are going to be uh, be like, damn, I should have came on your podcast before. Like I said before, man, like, like my competition for this podcast is not... Uh, not super data science. John Crone, you're a good guy. Love you. Uh, you know, but you're not my competition. 
Avery, you're not my competition. Kenji, you, you know, love you as well, but you're not my competition. Competition is Joe fucking Rogan. Uh, so it's going to be to the point where you can't talk about podcasting without talking about me. Uh, that is my ultimate goal, right? Like you cannot talk about the most amazing podcasters without mentioning Harpreet Sohota in the conversation. And I was just, I spent the weekend, I was listening to some of my old episodes, uh, you know, and I was like, damn, I'm actually pretty good at this. Like I was listening to uh, the episode I did with Jonathan Tester, the episode I did with Jacqueline Wales, uh, a couple other ones. And I was like, damn, pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, so there you go, man. Uh, when am I getting that Spotify deal, man? Soon, I hope. I hope. That'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, Mark has a question about podcasts and go for it. And then Auntie will get to your question. And then uh, UM on uh, YouTube will get to your question as well. But go for it, Mark. Yeah, so uh, my my friend and I are actually working on hopefully creating a podcast um, soon. Not actually data related at all. Um, the the quick sneak peek it kind of ties to the last question. It's called Dear Past Self, where we're going to be interviewing ourselves and other people of like how to model good behaviors around like thinking about your past, where and both positive and negative. And so one of the key things what Metric saw is like to get to know the top one percent of all podcasts, you have to create twenty one episodes because most people quit before then. So I guess like in your first 21 episodes, Harpreet, what was the kind of the key steps you made or decisions you made to like keep on going? Yeah. So I recorded, I, I released 12 episodes at once. And um, at some point during the, uh, during the podcasting journey, right. I read Ryan Holiday's book, Perennial Seller. And he said something in that really stuck out and it was only is better than best. Right. So I was like, okay, so only is better than best. So I should make my podcast the only podcast that does something for a specific group of people. Right. So for me, that was, I'm the only self development, self improvement type of podcast specifically for data scientists. Right. And then not only that, I'm going to be the only podcast that has things like this where the community comes in and asks questions and they could chat and they could do stuff. Right. Um, I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but I'll pause there and, and you know, I'll, that that was yeah no i was was definitely curious just about like what what was that kind of the key differentiators for yourself in in the beginning um when you're starting your podcast given that after that reading that random statistic that most people quit after the first episode five episodes yeah only one percent gets to 21 like yeah how'd you keep up that that momentum and be like yeah this is this is the thing i'm gonna do and like build from those mistakes yeah i also read that statistic too and i told myself that's not gonna be me like, I'm not going to quit after a while. Like, I told myself, I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> My friend and I were just like, 21 episodes, that's it? <laughs> 21 episodes is hard to do, man, because it's it's a lot of work to, to do the editing, to, like, put the effort True. in. And, you know, like, the, I mean, you know, there's a couple, you know, a couple friends, uh, for example, that have started podcasts and then did, like, three episodes where just like, that's too much, man. I can't do this. After hyping it up for, for quite some time, right? And, you know, we're expecting to have these great conversations. They're just like, oh, this is too much. Um, but you have to love it, right? You have to actually enjoy doing it. You have to love doing it. And for me, it's just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to be a statistic. Um, you know, just coming out of Valley High School, I was like, you know, destined to be a statistic anyway. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm not going to be a statistic. Uh, that's for sure. And just continue to go on with it, continue to push it. And um, once I started just getting, I started, uh, there was a, a time where I was just, re- I was like, okay, I'm just going to reach out to every single uh like author that I have on my bookshelf, like, you know, I'm going to reach out to these people. I'm going to message them and see all that come on. 
And all of them started saying yes. And I was like, what? This is mind boggling. This is crazy. All these people like, just started coming on the show, New York Times bestselling authors and things like that. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is cool. I'll continue doing it. And then I remember having conversations with like Maya Grossman, for example. Uh, Maya Grossman, you guys might know her. She's on LinkedIn as well. Um, she wrote that book, uh, Invaluable. And she was giving me, a, you know, she was like, man, you got like a really authentic style. You got an authentic voice. Like, you know, you keep at it. People are really going to connect with what you're saying and, and what you're doing. And I was like, that, that, that's a good cosign. Same thing with Deborah Baribichez. Um, like she, she gave me, a, you know, she was like, dude, your podcast so fresh, so refreshing. Like the, the way you're mixing it, like all that stuff. Like listen to a few episodes. It's really good. And, you know, that cosign as well, because she'd been on TV. She'd had TV shows on Discovery Channel and things like that. And I was like, damn, all right. Well, these people are saying that, you know, what I'm doing is, is good. So I should keep, keep doing it. And uh, I mean, there's this line for this big Sean song. He says, he says something along the lines of uh, they say my music beaten because I follow my heart. Right. And I was like, all right, I always had faith, like who swallowed the dark, something like that. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, people are resonating with my podcast because I, I'm actually just pouring all of myself into it. I just completely just giving everything I have to an episode, like the research, right. Writing an intro. It takes me like three or four hours to write an intro. It takes me like 12, 15 hours to do the research. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of effort to create a good quality episode. And I just poured everything into it and just did it. Quick, quick follow-up question. And, and if you go, if you have to go on another, another one, just let me know. I can just hold it, but yeah, uh, no, go for it. Go for it. We're, we're, uh, yes. Versus like, again, I, I approach thing with like this MVP approach, <laughs> of kind of like a startup. So my whole mentality is like my friend and I, like let's don't worry about the the mixing or making it perfect. Let's just like put content out there and ideas. If we create genuine good content, like people will gravitate towards that. That's the hypothesis. And the other mixing and nice kind of extras will come along the way. But that way we reduce the time to put content out there and get those episodes in. Do you feel as if for the podcasting format, like is that an approach where taking the startup perspective, maybe not be the best thing, or do you feel like you, like it's okay for the beginning just to have like really raw stuff? Yeah. So for me personally, like I, I just had a vision for how I wanted the entire episode to be pieced together. Right. And I made sure that I did the, ep- like for the first 40, 50 episodes, I probably did everything myself. And then I figured, okay, if I do the editing, the mixing, and I have everything out, I can outsource it and then whoever out, I outsource it to now, you know, Nikesh does a great job. He's been out, he's done hundreds of episodes for me now. And um, he just has a good blueprint. He knows my style. He knows how I want to edit stuff. So like it, 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 this, this is like an art form. It's your art work, right? So like you have to approach it with that craftsman mentality, with that artist kind of mentality. Um, because at the end of the day, like I, I do the podcast for myself, right? Like this is like almost like therapy for me when I do the research and I do like the conversations and stuff like that. Um, so I treat it like it's my art form, like it's actual artwork. And I don't know, like I, I, the MVP thing, like I think it works with product. I don't know if it works with art, right? Oh, that, that, that 100% makes sense. Cause I, I, I bias towards that MVP startup approach, but also like I used to be a dancer. So I get the yeah. artist thing. Right. Yeah. And so I was like battling between the two, um, and I, the main thing is just, I don't want perfection getting in the way of getting something out there because I can definitely get into that trap as well. Yeah, man. I mean, there's there's another track I was listening to by uh, called Blood by Anima. And in that track, they're talking about uh, like how art is work, work is love. It hurts to give yourself to it. And then they talk about how uh, in that same track that um, once you create it, 
you might be too good to appreciate what it is that uh, that you've created. So I don't know if that made sense. But um, somebody asking here, what uh, what's my reach on my podcast? I think I just passed eighty thousand downloads, uh, which I think is pretty big. Um, I was looking at like on Chartable. I was like I was ranked like podcast number three hundred or something, which is huge considering that there's how many thousands of podcasts out there. So um, I think I'm definitely in the top. 20% of the distribution for podcasts in terms of reach and uh, number of downloads and things like that. And hopefully just try to get that bigger and bigger and much more. But, um, but yeah, like for me, like when I created the podcast, I had a very, like, a, this is how I wanted it. I wanted to have that, that, that sizzler in the beginning. That was just like a key moment from the show that kind of encapsulates what the, what the episode was about. Then I wanted to have music. Then I want to have my intro uh, talking about the podcast. Then I wanted to have, you know, the introduction of the guest, then I want to have this series of questions, then I wanted to have the random rounds, like everything, like I wanted that kind of structure. So that when you listen to my episode, you know exactly what to expect and how things are going to be pieced together. Um, so I was very deliberate about that part. Um, but Mark, hopefully that was helpful. Um, go to uh, Auntie's question. Auntie had a question a while back about uh, cookie cutter, but for um, cookie cutter data science, so cookie cutter is just a framework for the repository structure itself. So I think it's agnostic from the actual language that you're using. So granted, you know, they've got it set up in Python, but that just makes it easy for you to uh, install the new repository structure, a clean repository structure. But I think that actual structure itself, it works whether you're using R, Java, Julia, whatever, Octave, MATLAB, whatever you're using, I think that repository structure and that framework is applicable. Um, another structure that I like that integrates the data engineering aspect with the data science aspect of it and creates like a really clean pipeline is Kedro. That's a lot more opinionated. Um, it's a great framework. So I highly recommend that. What about, what do you guys think? I saw there's comments here around um, cookie cutter data science. So cookie cutter data science, for those of you who don't know, is just a, a way to structure your project. Um, and probably the most common that I've seen, um, you know, the teams that I've been on. Christoph, thank you for joining, man. Appreciate, appreciate you. Um, what about what about you guys? Uh, what do you guys use for your project structure, Mark or or Rodney or Asha? I wish I knew about this cookie cutter thing earlier. Probably make my life a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Um, the way I structure my repositories is, you know, I have like my main repository, README file. Um, if it's on my GitHub, a potential like license file. Um, if it's something like a, a something I'm sharing out broadly, and then um, I'll have like my code. And then I'll have my tests and that's kind of like how, how I structure kind of my, uh, my work. The thing I don't do enough is test my code. That's probably something I should, uh, focus on doing a little bit more. Uh, what do you use for testing? Is it great expectations? Uh, uh for, for testing. So I'm, I'm more so thinking about like my work at, at Humu, mm -hmm. but, uh, essentially for my tests, like many times, like when I'm building out a, uh, I can give you an example for like my NLP pipeline, I built on my job. I didn't have access to any of the data <laughs> until the very end. So I had to build up this whole pipeline to work and, and just plug back in. But I had no data to work on. So I just took out a whole bunch of office quotes and, and put it in our, so we have a code base full of office quotes now, which is great, which I love. I love that. Um, and I ran my NLP pipeline on like Michael Scott yelling, I declare bankruptcy um, all, all throughout. So uh, that's, that's what I use test for is actually like, I create this piece of logic that I'm expecting to do X, Y, Z, you know, and that test is going to, and, I, and um, 
I know there's different like tools for that. We have our own in-house testing things. I can't really go into that, mm-hmm. but that's where the unit test really come into is like when you don't have access to data, but you need to build out logic to put into production, those unit tests essentially assured me that by the, we get, by the time you get to the end of this project, it will work. Um, and I don't have to go back like two months. Yeah. Yeah. Pi test, I think would be good, good for that as well. Great expectations. Sorry. That's typically just for a, a pipeline cleaning up. So uh, that's a great package for that. Rodney, any tips on, on this? Uh, I, d- I don't do a lot of testing. Um, well, I do, but I don't do formal unit tests um, just because of the nature of most of what I work on. It, it doesn't play that big a role. Um, and, and then I just structure it around projects usually because everything comes more or less as a project. And then I, I just do it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anti tangent question. I think that, uh, cookie cutter data science repository t- structure is, I'm a huge proponent of it. I swear by it. Um, and I think that is, it's absolutely agnostic of what programming language you use because it's just more philosophy on how to structure your project. Uh, and testing your code is good. I, I guess I, I, do, I test my code as I build it. So I don't do formal unit tests or anything like that. But uh, for formal unit tests, you can look into PyTest. Uh, then to test your actual pipelines, you can look at great expectations. Um, and an alternative to cookie-cutter data science that is uh, strictly for Python is called Kedro. Kedro is great. It's extremely opinionated, but it ties together the data engineering pipeline as well as the, um, the, the data science pipeline. And it makes uh, using notebooks a little bit easier because the Kedro notebooks are quite, they have this thing called the Kedro context and you just save a lot of keystrokes with that. So uh, Kedro for deployment ready um, projects is what I recommend. Like at price, like the project that we deployed to production was a Kedro project uh, just because it made things a lot easier. So um, look into that. So there's a question coming in now. Let's switch it up. Anti, hopefully that was helpful. Question coming in from uh, YouTube, from UM. Uh, what are your thoughts on a BS? in data science and programming by Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. Are there any job opportunities after pursuing it? Please reply. I'm going to apply for it. All right, man. Well, if you're going to school just to get a job, then you might want to think why you're going to school. Um, you know, so look, uh, I don't know anything about the Indian Institute of Technology at Madras. Um, it might be a good school, might not. I've never heard of it. Don't know anything about it. Um, are there job opportunities after pursuing it? Yeah, job opportunities are abundant. Like, uh, is learning data science and programming a Skills that you should probably learn. I think so, uh, especially you know when you're my age. I'm assuming if you're just now going to school, you're probably 18. So 20 years from now, you'll be 38. 20 years from now, I'll be damn near 60. Um, be damn near 60 in 20 years. Um, the landscape is going to be different. Like jobs that exist today might not exist because of the technology that people like us are building. But it is going to open more and more jobs that we could not even imagine because of the work that we've done. Right. Um, just like, you know, when we, when electricity came around, right. When electricity came around, they put a lot of people out of work, right. Cause there used to be people who had to walk around and the lamp, light the lamps with, with fire and stuff like that. Now we just turn on the switch and things get brightened up. Right. Uh, but those people found other jobs, right. Um, so I think you should study it. Are there job opportunities? Yeah. But you're the one that has to be employable, right. So you can get a degree. I know a lot of people who got degrees and matter of fact, I've gotten degrees and I was not employable because I just didn't know how to work. Uh, but eventually I did become employable because I knew how to work. Um, I'll pause there with my rant. I <laughs> see what other people have to say. Uh, uh, Asha, what do you think? Let's hear from Asha on this. 
I don't know. I guess you can't judge it according to a school. A lot of us, most people in this field moved away from their backgrounds. A lot of the people I work with moved away from very different backgrounds, then came into it. But in terms of getting a job, I think you are right. I saw it firsthand in the office. It's a skill. Interviewing on its own is a skill. I've yep. seen two people, one who was overqualified and one who was not, and they got the job. It's definitely a skill. So the jobs are there, but you can't base it on a school. I guess. Yeah. yeah, I like that's an excellent point. Uh, Mark, I, I, I like this comment here, Mark. Tell us about this. Mark says data scientist is eventually going to be an antiquated term. Exclamation point. Talk to us about this. Because I, I see some tech OGs and they're constantly telling me like, yeah, like data science is hot right now. So be prepared when it's not going to be hot. And um, it's always the older folks uh, who've been in tech for at least 20 years saying this to me. So I feel like there's some truth to this because it's a common pattern. But you're also kind of seeing this as well, where like people hire data scientists and are like, what does that even mean? So that's why you see that fraction into like ML engineer, data engineer, analytics engineer, um, data analyst, right? Uh, so there's that one component. And then going back to the original question about the school, like, I feel like don't focus on the school or the degree, focus on the type of problems you want to solve in the world, what problems you're, you're kind of passionate or at least find interest in, and that'll better guide your learnings. Um, and you can do it with that degree, but um, that way you're not stuck with the job that could potentially go away in 20 yeah. years, you know, focus instead on like, what's the big problem and that problem will change over time as well. Yeah. So focus on the skill set that, that, are going to be kind of timeless skill sets. So in this case, logic, mathematics, programming, problem solving, these are skills that are important that I don't think will be automated away that you should probably develop, right? Is that kind of like the, along the lines of uh, what you're saying there, Mark? Um, I think more so as I give you examples, like my my ultimate goal, a big problem point is like, I'm trying to improve well-being for as many people as possible especially around marginalized communities. That's like, that's my vision, my mission, right? Originally, I thought I had to be a doctor to do that. Then I thought I'd do community health, right? And then I found data and I was like, oh, I can do this at scale <laughs> and build it as repeatable and I'll, I'll do it by patient by patient, right? And so like having an ultimate problem I wanted to solve and being flexible enough about how I do it I'm still solving the same problem, but now the avenue which I solve it, it's much more clear to me. It just it just so happens to be data. Awesome, Rodney. What what do you uh, what do you think? And I'd love to hear from anybody else here, uh, either Josh or Natasha or, or Chris on this uh, on this topic as well. Um, I think you know things change names. That doesn't necessarily mean a lot. And the use of data in business has been around for a long time, well before anyone was talking about data science where, you know, you had business statistics, for example. And then the tech industry started basically um, exploiting their log data, I think it was. And, and so that then gave birth essentially to data science. But it's not confined to tech. It, it's, there are lots of things you can do in, in other sectors, government and all these other sectors I don't see it going away unless computers go away. And in particular, unless, um, unless the internet goes away. So I think that it's, it's always going to be as there as long as those technologies exist um, because that's, that's what's driving it. 
And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, the name might change, but the, the, the skills are still there. And so people like me have been sort of around a bit longer uh, before all this came came up. We were we were learning and building these skills before data science existed, before machine learning existed. Um, so it it it's it doesn't matter. Right? You still get you're still going to have a job. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, let's start to wrap it up. If anybody has any last minute questions in the room, go ahead and let me know. I'm checking on LinkedIn. I have uh, announced on LinkedIn that we are wrapping up. So if anybody has questions on LinkedIn, now is the time to ask. Uh, until you guys think of a question to ask, let me just uh, start filling some time by saying that you should tune into the podcast, release an episode with David Benjamin. Um, I think if you listen to the episode with David Benjamin, coupled with the episode I did with Fred Peller, kind of like back to back, I think that'll help you really kind of understand how to you know be a bit more uh, strategic, how to think about solving problems. Um, I think those two episodes really complement each other really well. Uh, so definitely check that out. Um, I was just re-listening to the episode I did with Jonathan Tesser uh, a couple of days ago. I thought that was a good episode. So definitely check that out as, as well as the one with um, Jacqueline Wills. Uh, next week, who do I got coming up next week, man? I think next week on the podcast, I've got that episode's actually queued up and ready to release until March of next year. I've got a ton of content coming out that, you know, I, and I stopped recording at the end of May. Um, so that's a lot of episodes that I got out in the queue. Um, next up coming up, uh, oh, this is going to be dope. The one that's happening uh, this Friday is with Jeff Lee. I really enjoyed that conversation I had with Jeff Lee. So Jeff Lee is a data scientist at Spotify. Uh, he was also on, I think he's currently Kenji's roommate. Um, so Jeff Lee is on Kenji's podcast as well. Uh, so the opening like 30 seconds of that podcast, my little sizzler, it's some special, some different. So I hope you guys tune in and give that a listen. Um, but I remember reaching out to, to Jeff, like he was one of the people I was trying to reach out to for on my podcast before I even had a podcast. Cause I came across his blog, I came across his work and I was like, dude, like, I really like your, uh, your works and, uh, wouldn't come on. Uh, it took a while, but he eventually came on the podcast. So uh, excited to, to have that conversation with him. We touch on a wide range of things. Uh, then after that, I've got an episode with Tiffany Schlane coming out on September 3rd. Tiffany Schlane is the woman who invented the Webby Awards. Uh, so that was really awesome. We talk about her book. Um, her book is the uh, book called 24-6. It's about taking a day off. And then after that, I've got an episode with Max Frenzel, who's an AI researcher. We talk about his book, um, Time Off, all about developing a REST ethic. Uh, doesn't look like there's any questions. Don't see anything coming in from LinkedIn or here in the chat. Uh, actually, there's a last minute question here. Can you tell the sources where I can start to learn data science from basics to person with highest level skills? Um, there's a lot of places you could check out. So a couple of good places is, uh, you know, there's Andrew Jones program, data science infinity. Um, that's a great program. Like personally, like I've, I've gone through the program itself, uh, like looked at the course materials, quite comprehensive. Check that out. Avery's got a uh, 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 course that he launched, Data Career Jumpstart. I personally haven't gone through that course yet, but I've seen the, uh, the syllabus, for lack of a better word for it. So definitely maybe check that out. Uh, Auntie's saying Data Cap, definitely check that out. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, like if, if you don't need the online course, there's probably three books I can recommend for you that will get you pretty much everything you need. First book is uh, SQL Queries for Mere Mortals by John something, right? That book will teach you how to do SQL like through and through. Then there's uh, Python for Data Analysis by uh, Wes McKinney, who is the guy that invented the Pandas library. Uh, that is the book that I used to learn 
um, Python and Pandas. It, it teaches you not only the fundamentals of Python as a pure programming language, but it also gives you exposure and um, experience and develop a intuition for the Pandas library. That's an excellent book as well. We learn how to do um, not only you know Pandas, but some data analysis and things like that as well. Uh, another book that I recommend is Introduction to Machine Learning with Python, because through that book, again, you'll get a better uh, understanding of Python as a pure programming language, plus the experience with the scikit-learn API, which is important. Uh, so those would be my three books that, you know, you, you spend one month on each book. Within three months, I think you'll have a baseline level of skill. Uh, and there's some great comments coming into here. There's a exploratory data analysis by John Tukey. So if you want to get into statistics at a more in-depth level, that is a good route to go. That'd probably be a good book to couple with um, Python for Data Analysis by Wes McKinney. Uh, 10 Minutes to Pandas. I've, I've never heard of that, but 10 minutes, dude, that's not, that's not a lot of time. So definitely check that out. Um, and then Open Intro uh, Statistics combined with Data Camp. And then to that, I'd, I'd also add Python Principles. Um, that's my new favorite resource to direct people to, to learn Python if they're brand new to Python. Python principles, because you'll learn uh, Python as a pure programming language and get exposed to all the fundamentals. And they have a lot of fun, free challenges. The entire thing, I think, is currently free, uh, but there's a lot of really cool like word problems and things that you could do to develop your problem-solving skills using Python. All right. So hopefully that was helpful to you, uh, say Ali. Um, and uh, I guess we'll begin to wrap it up. So I'll be launching my course, hopefully, by the uh, middle of September. It's been it's been a long time in the making. I started working on the course um a long time ago, too much longer than I care to admit. Uh, but it's been in the in the works for quite some time. Um, so I do my best with that and do my best to kind of fill a gap that I see in the market because I don't see a lot of stuff. Like I see a lot of a lot of courses teaching you how to use tools, but I don't see a lot of courses that teach you how to think and work and carry yourself as a data scientist. So I'm hoping to fill that need uh, that that I see in the market. And I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, that's it for today, my friends. Thank you very much for joining in. And remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone. <laughs>